You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show Friday edition. We've got pro days and we will finish up the week with the end of Matt Williamson's power rankings post free agency power rankings. We're into the top 10, nine through one. If you want to find out who the rest of the teams were and the rest of the rankings, Matt's 32nd through 10th team in the league after free agency. You can find that in the last couple of days of the pod, Wednesday and Thursday. At BD Peacock on Twitter is where you can find me. Matt is a must-follow at Williamson NFL. Get your questions in for next Tuesday's mailbag show. I want to start with some pro day notes, Matt. We've talked about it in passing a little bit over the course of the last week or two. Seeing some pro day numbers, and you know, now that the first wave of free agency is over, it is like fully, fully draft season. All these pro days are happening, numerous pro days every single day. Today there's some big ones. We've got BYU which obviously has the potential number two pick in the draft in Zach Wilson, Boston College, Michigan, Virginia Tech, a bunch of big ones. Then, I mean, it just continues, and there's five or six every single day. Alabama's going to have their second pro day, or I think some of the players who didn't run in the first one are going to run in that one. So, um, And really it goes all the way into April to about April 9th, I think I'm seeing, is, is when the last pro days are. So you know that's only a couple of weeks before the draft. So still a lot of work for scouts to do since there's a lack of 2020 tape and there was no combine. So I don't know, Matt, what what are your thoughts? Are, are these pro days more valuable because there was no combine, because there was less college tape than ever this season? And at the same time, are, are these times we're seeing a little bit more silly than even usual because we would see that a lot where someone would run at the combine, then they would run again and it'd be a lot faster at their pro day. And, and I'm always skeptical in any ways with these you know, pro day times, but we're seeing a lot of four twos, a lot of four three nines here. And I'm just like, at some point do you just have to throw them all out because they're getting kind of crazy. I don't know how to take it. I mean, again, the beauty of the combine is everyone works out at the same place at the same time, the same conditions. And I'm not a, an expert on, you know, track and field, so to speak, but it certainly matters what surface you run on. I mean, there's no doubt about that, let alone if it happens to be outside or wind dated or against the wind, things like that. So I do think a lot of these big schools, Ohio State, Penn State, Georgia, that are putting up great times. Um, I, I, Ohio State hasn't run yet, but they're notorious for this. I do think the scouting community realizes those are fast tracks. You know, like people know that so some of these schools, people are going to run a little faster. I also think, well, I know this too. I mean, I've seen this firsthand. There's no doubt in my mind that these prospects are just more relaxed and more comfortable in their building. You know, their director of, of football ops and strength coach and medical staff and everybody's there that they know and I mean, in normal situations, maybe even some families there, and certainly tons of friends and teammates, where the combine's pretty isolated. You're kind of on your own, and you've been poked and prodded for three days, and you probably didn't sleep well the night before. So I don't know exactly how to take it, but, I mean, if you look at the numbers, they're pretty stunning. I mean, just look at the linebackers, you know, just off-ball linebackers. There's 12 to 15 guys that are – you know, four, five, five or better, <laughs> you know, like, wow. 
Yeah, yesterday was Penn State, and that was a big one. We saw some crazy times there, and four three nine from Micah Parsons, who everyone knows is a freak already. So you know, you know he's fast. So I don't know if you're adding more to that, but that's at six three, two hundred and forty six pounds, and a sub seven second three cone, which is crazy good too. And then Jason Owe, six five, two fifty seven, another four three nine time, and that's one of the other things I'm seeing here is. A lot of nines at the end, which tells me uh, maybe there's like, ah, uh, was it four four one? Let's make it a four three nine, right? I mean, there's just something <laughs> going on there. There's way too many nines at the end of these forty times. I would like to know whose watch is this on? Is this the the school releasing these times? I mean, I'm sure it's all videoed, but I, I am a little curious on the source for all of these. Um, always really interesting. Oh, the one thing I mentioned too, and this applies to Parsons. I mean, if you opted out. I assume you had some extra time and attention to work on your 40 starts mm-hmm. and some of these combine drills. So that kind of adds up. But Owe, I mean, is the freakiest of all to me. I mean, I can't remember if you mentioned the three cone or not. It was unbelievable. The short shuttle is unbelievable. Shuttles are hard for tall, lean guys. You know, this guy's 6'5", running a 4'15 short shuttle. I mean, that's all about staying low and sinking your hips and low center of gravity. But he had zero sacks last year. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like all projection. Yeah, all projection yeah. with him. But I mean, long, arm length, 34 and a half inch arms is 88th percentile for an edge rusher. Uh, 100th percentile for the broad jump and the 40 yard dash at 439, 96th percentile. Three cone, 95th percentile, short shuttle. So uh, just absurdity of a workout there. But yeah, you're right. Zero sacks. So you're taking on a project. You're taking on this freaky athlete that's height, weight, speed off the charts. But again, you know, production could be a lot better there. Elijah Moore, really quick from Ole Miss yesterday's pro day oh, workout. Yeah. And whoo, lightning fast. 5'9", 178. So, you know, he's a slot type player, return skills. But, you know, he had nice size hands, which is important. But uh, another 4-3 guy, 4-3-5, 40-yard dash, and a 6.663 cone, which is one of the faster wow. ones I've seen in this entire process. And and it, that plays on tape. And, you know, he could probably be more refined. But if you're looking for a slot player that's not a first-round guy, uh, maybe he probably is a second-round player now if teams are believing in those numbers. But the dude has quicks, and he is explosive, deep speed and short area quickness and run after catch. So if that's the style of receiver you're looking for, I think a lot of teams are going to really like Elijah Moore. Yeah, and there's a lot of them this year. You know, I mean, Chaka Tony, uh, Rondell Moore. I mean, these a lot of these guys that are under 5'11 with explosive traits and uh, in the world of jet sweeps and things like that, too, I think are, are going to be appealing. Uh, the Eskridge kid from Western Michigan yesterday also ran a, a ridiculous time. It's similar, similar, similar measurables. Had a huge senior bowl. As usual, it's an awesome wide receiver class. But these smaller, explosive slot guys, you know, with all respect to Welker and Edelman and those guys, they're explosive out of their breaks and were great route runners and were very quick. But they're not, you know, sub four four guys. Yeah, Rondale Moore was the extreme example too. Just right. absurdity, four threes in the forty. Or might be in, he might even have had the four two nine, right? And then a thirty nine yep. or forty two inch vertical. I'm looking for his numbers right now, and I can't find them. But uh, it was just ridiculous off the charts and a stupid three cone. But he's five seven, five seven flat. So that's like gadget territory. I don't know what his stock is going to look like. I thought he was a borderline first rounder when I thought he was five nine. Five seven is rough because that means you're an extreme outlier. 
Yeah, extreme outlier. I mean, he's thick. He's thrown. Everything else about him you like. I mean, but he's 5'7". A couple of more pro day notes here. I, I think the two top corners in the draft now that Caleb Farley's not going to be able to run, and he would have gone crazy today, I'm sure, at Virginia Tech's pro day, and they have the famous 38-yard track there at Virginia Tech. They always have the fastest time, <laughs> so I can't wait to see what comes out of that one today. But the back injury, I think, hurts him. The back surgery without that 2020 tape. Um, J.C. Horn, though, might have jumped into that CB2, maybe CB1 territory. 6'1", 205, 33-inch arm length, which is really long, 42-inch vertical, 439, 40-yard dash. But at Alabama's pro day, Patrick Sertan was pretty awesome as well, running you know low mid 4'4s four at 6'2", 208 pounds. And um, man, those two guys really helped themselves a lot. And look, and I saw somebody post it with back-to-back numbers. It was Horn, Sertan, and then it was Jalen Ramsey. Uh, and it was pretty much spot on. Six one, six two, low four fours, four four one. I think Jalen Ramsey was uh, thirty three inch arms. You know, it was right on. Like these workouts are Jalen Ramsey esque. Ramsey's was at the combine. These are pro days though, which is a big difference. But I mean, that's just even if you are factoring in some sort of a you know a formula to to regulate these forty times and adding point oh five to the forties. I mean, those are still great workouts for those two corners. Absolutely, and. I kind of feel like Farley's at best number three now. I mean, just yeah. backs are scary, and and it sounds like he's going to be sidelined four months, and that's, you know, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but that's not so terrible. I mean, he would be involved in camp and all those things, but he sat out all last year, too. I mean, I think at best he's the third corner off the board. I actually have two more pro day notes we'll get to next, okay. and then we'll go 9-1 to one on Matt's NFL Power Rankings post-free agency next. March Madness is upon us, and everyone's getting involved. And you can get involved at betonline.ag. The fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action, including the college basketball tournament. Football might be over, but NBA is happening. NHL is happening. Build your brackets. Bet on any of the games happening right now. NFL draft props, which are always Super fun. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Go to betonline.ag. Use your mobile device, too, if you want, to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code Locked On Again, promo code Locked On at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. One more quick note, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, athletic, and everybody knows he's athletic, and it's the question is, is he tackler or is he a guard? And his arm length was 32 and a half inches, and usually 33 plus, ideally 34 plus is what you want in an offensive tackle. Did Elijah Vera Tucker solidify himself as a guard through the eyes of NFL scouts, Matt? I think some will immediately go to that, but I also think if you watch his tape, he doesn't play short armed, uh, you know what I mean? And, and maybe that's the Joe Tucker or Joe Thomas and Joe Tucker, um, you know, arm length comparison. Maybe we shouldn't go all the way to the tip of the finger because he does handle himself well at tackle. And it doesn't seem like people get on him faster than he gets on them with their hand placement. Uh, obviously it'll be a bigger jump at the next level, but I think some will immediately say, ah, I, if I need a tackle, I'm not taking him. If it's between him and Derisaw or somebody like that, he may lose that battle. 
But I would imagine wherever he inevitably lands, maybe Minnesota, starts him out of tackle, and if it struggles, he goes into guard and excels. And last one here is BYU's Pro Day, Zach Wilson. I haven't seen any of the workout numbers. I don't know if he's going to run or not. I haven't seen him throw the ball. We all know he has a great arm, so I'm sure he's going to wow there. But the most important thing was just him weighing in, because I thought there was a chance he was going to be 6'1", 200 pounds, you know, barely scraping over 200 with potentially even small. Actually, the hand size thing, I, I thought he might have big hands just because of the way he throws it and the arm slots yeah. and what he's able to do and control the football. That is usually pretty telling about the hand size for a quarterback. And in fact, he does have pretty big hands, not massive, but nine and a half inches is exactly what you're looking for. And it, it hits a, a benchmark for NFL teams as far as hand size, but he was over 6'2", 6'2 and an eighth, 214 pounds. So, I mean, you know, that 6'2", 215 range, that that is perfect. So, I mean, that is a huge win for Zach Wilson there to show up over 6'2", to be near 215 pounds. Hand size is is nice. So I think from a size perspective, he's not, you know, a huge guy, but at least he checks that box for teams and makes teams very comfortable, especially if you're going to draft him as high as number two overall. And we all know he has the arm talent. So I think it was a huge day just for him to show up 6'2 plus 214. Yeah, I think that's absolutely a win. I would bet he did not play at 214, just watching him in pads on tape. You yeah, know I, I mean? But fine. You know, some of these guys add weight. I mean, I hope it's not artificial. He gets to camp and he's 205. You know, just the, the, the body protection is what worries me a little bit, just looking at him on tape. Um, you mentioned the hands, and he obviously has the arm strength. But if you're the Jets, I mean, it's important in that area of the country, in the wind, in the rain, and think of Phil Sims battling the, the, the weather and the, the wind his whole career. You better be able to, you know, gun that thing through those gusts. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, uh, let's let's get into your rankings before we run out of time here, as we tend to yeah, do. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we get talking. Uh, we're we're to the top ten. We're at number nine, actually nine through one on Matt Williamson's power rankings. I'm not going to go through them all, so you can go back and find out who was 32 through 10 on Wednesday and Thursday's episode. Team number nine for you, the San Francisco. 49ers who really did I think a fantastic job and I was you know I I host locked on 49ers and I had to give them a free agency grade I gave them an A because and they didn't bring much from the outside in they just had a massive free agent class of their own that they had to handle and they had the top free agent on the market in Trent Williams and they were able to bring a lot of them back so I think that was huge for the 49ers to be able to do absolutely I think they've really positioned themselves well to take advantage of a pretty early pick for a team, you know, in my top nine that they could maybe not necessarily grab best athlete available, but they don't have to reach for need throughout the draft very much. The key here is, I mean, they were, I think we talked about this yesterday. I mean, in my preseason ranks one year ago, like on opening day, they were one of four tier one teams coming off a Super Bowl. And I just believe more than anything, injuries derailed their season. I mean, it wasn't a Super Bowl hangover. It was, Jimmy and Bosa and Kittle and all these guys just missing too much time. Exactly. And so they're banking on getting those players back. They re-signed a lot of their own. Richard Sherman, most likely the big one that's on the way out. But they were able to bring in Alex Mack to solidify the center position for them with the retirement of Weston Richburg looming. Uh, Trent Williams, I mentioned. Uh, they brought in Samson Ebucam to give him a little bit of speed off the edge. They re-signed uh, a number of other players on shorter-term deals. So they didn't spend a ton of money aside from Trent Williams. But they were able to bring a lot of guys back. Jason Verrett and Kwan Williams in the secondary is key, especially with losing um, Richard Sherman. So they've opened the, the draft up for themselves and, and really solidified their roster. They could go quarterback. They go corner. They can go a lot of directions. But pretty much bringing the same team back and, and a lot of the players back from the Super Bowl run as well. And so it's kind of run it back part two for the 49ers, and they'll see if they can stay healthy this time. 
Last thing I have, and I'm sure you agree with me, I I am very psyched to watch Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle on the field together, you know, a lot of snaps. Yes, and Debo was injured as well last year. Him in year three, and Ayuk in year two, and, and really see what that offense is supposed to look like with Shanahan. Mm-hmm, absolutely. The Cleveland Browns coming in at number eight for you, which is a team on the rise, right? I'm trying to think of where they ended the season and where they started the season, but I feel like they're just kind of in that zone where they were in the middle, but I feel like they've creeped up. They weren't in your top 10 to end the year, right? I don't think so. I mean, they blew out the Steelers in the first round. They had a very successful year. I think, that, I gotta be honest. I mean, it, I, I worked for this team, but I am a Steeler guy, as everybody knows. They've been the little brother that we made fun of for years and years around here in Pittsburgh. I think they are for real now. I think that this new regime, this new coaching staff has an absolute plan in place. I think this offseason, along with last, last year's was all about the offense and building an offensive line, making Baker as comfortable as possible. This year, they're filling in holes on defense and going after, you know, two Rams secondary members that was maybe the best secondary in the league last year. And I bet they draft an edge and maybe even sign a, a clowny, I think, was there yesterday. So they realize their strengths and weaknesses and are making moves accordingly very well. And they stole away two Los Angeles Rams. Yeah. Defenders in the secondary, no less. Cornerback Troy Hill on a two-year, $9 million contract, and the big money was for John Johnson, the safety. Three years, $33 million, $11 million per, which I wasn't sure John Johnson was going to make that much, but that was the big expenditure there for Cleveland. And then, uh, you know, like every other team in the league, a bunch of uh, one-year contracts to try to solidify the back end of their roster. Yeah, and, and you mix that with Ward and... You know, two LSU young defensive backs coming back, you know, in uh, in Greedy and Delpit. That's kind of interesting in the secondary now. You got a nice blend of youth and guys in their prime and upside. And I think Johnson's going to kind of quarterback that whole unit. Baltimore Ravens coming in at number seven on Matt Williamson's post free agency power rankings. They haven't done a ton. I thought they might be doing more at wide receiver, and they've been kind of rumored on a lot of receivers, uh, but haven't really done anything and lost two edge players in Matt Judon and Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah, I, I never count these guys out by any means, though. I think they're an elite organization. The Zeitler signing was one of my favorites. I kind of made fun of Juju saying, Oh, yeah, sure, you turned down more money with the Ravens. But then the next day, T.Y. Hilton says the same thing. Like, I don't think receivers want to play there. They don't throw the ball. So Mm. they did not address that situation. You know, their first-round pick could be a Bateman or somebody like that. I mean, and that's fine. But I don't know who I trust to run routes in that offense right now. But they'll be good on defense, and Lamar's a stud. And they're a good team, obviously. They're a good team. They're not going anywhere. Uh, They need to find... A little bit of extra juice coming off the edge, right? After losing those two players, I would assume, because they brought in Ngakwe because they needed more already, and they lost Judon on top of it. Yes. They did keep Tyus Bowser, which people didn't mention enough, because I think he's an up-and-comer, and I trust them to make the right choice of who to pay and what to pay them. But if you remember, especially two years ago, their pass rush mostly comes from blitz. You know, I mean, they have such good corner play that they blitz more than anyone in the league. So I'm not sure, I mean, the, the Dockway uh, trading aside, and he's also from Maryland, They, I don't know if they put as much of a premium on elite pass rushers because they'll get home by bringing six at you. 
We'll get to the Seattle Seahawks next, who come in at six, and then find out who the top five is on Matt Williamson's post-free agency power rankings next. We are getting into the enticing eight in the 2021 Built Bar Bracket. What is your favorite flavor? Go to BuiltBar.com or at Bar underscore Built on Twitter to vote. Today's matchup, Cookie Dough Chunk versus Birthday Cake. I think this is where the run ends for the upstart birthday cake flavor. What flavor of Built Bar will reign supreme? Find out at BuiltBar.com. And while you're there, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next box of Built Bars, which are high in protein, high in fiber, yet low in calorie and low in sugar, while somehow not sacrificing any wonderful taste. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Seattle Seahawks, Matt, operate in just an odd fashion, and I never expect that a team should be doing the moves that they make, and they continue to win, despite, I think, getting worse a lot of times. And an odd free agency period, they let their best corner, Shaq Griffin, walk. He's in Jacksonville now, got a three-year, $40 million contract. Uh, But just recently this week, have signed a pair of 30-year-old, bigger-bodied defensive ends in Carlos Dunlap and Kerry Hyder. Uh, Dunlap's a two-year, $16 million contract, and Kerry Hyder coming over from the 49ers, one of a number of players that Seattle has signed and continues to sign from San Francisco. And, oh, yeah, it's looking like maybe even Richard Sherman could reunite there in Seattle after uh, a run there with the 49ers. Kerry Hyder getting three years, $16.5 million, which was a little surprising to me that that he got that much money because it was um, you know so up and down with his career. He had a nice year last year, but I thought he would be more of a reserve than getting money that's, you know, near starter level, you know, two, three defensive linemen, and he might be able to move inside a little bit there. Uh, Chris Carson sticks around on a two-year, $10.4 million contract. Gerald Everett, they signed from, which might be their best signing of the whole offseason, from Los Angeles to provide them a little bit of something for a tight end H-back for Russell Wilson there, one year, $6 million. You laid that out very, very well. Um, Adam Schefter just reported a little bit ago that Jerron Reed, the defensive tackle, is going to be cut or traded. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the other news. But other than that, I think he nailed it all. I really like the Everett selection. Or and they also traded for Gabe Jackson. Um, they've really needed a third pass catcher. I think Everett can be that guy. I, I'm operating under the assumption that Wilson and company are going to play nice at least for one more year. And we're not going to see any ill effects of, you know, the offseason drama on the field. But I got to say, I wasn't positive who to put at six. I thought the top five were pretty clear. And it is the Green Bay Packers coming in at number five. They lost a big one. Corey Lindsley, their center in the middle, going to the Los Angeles Chargers. He signed a big deal, five years, $62.5 million to be the center for the Chargers. Mercedes Lewis sticking around. I've... 37 years old signing another two-year contract <laughs> yeah. for $4 million per. I mean, that's rock solid. Uh, Jamal Williams off to Detroit on a two-year contract. They re-signed Kevin King one year, $5 million. I'm surprised they didn't let him walk because of um, how badly he's played for them since being drafted and been a huge disappointment. I just thought maybe a change of scenery would help Kevin King, and clearly Green Bay needs to go into the draft looking for a corner. They do, and they haven't done anything at receiver either. Um, the big move is bringing back Aaron Jones, and I think that'll pay off, but I think I'd rather have spent that money on Lindsley or a receiver maybe. I mean, just because the position value, I love Jones. I think he's a great player and will catch a lot of balls this year. But I would have liked a little more out of Green Bay this offseason. 
I'm glad you mentioned Jones. I totally forgot about him, and he's not on this list because he didn't technically hit free agency. Right, but right, that right. was that was huge. That was uh, that was the big domino in the Green Bay's offseason was paying him, and wasn't enough money left over after that for a guy like Corey Lindsley. No, no. I mean, and I get it. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't have wanted Jones to leave either. But this team's not much different than it was last year, which is good. But those around you are getting better. How much better did the Los Angeles Rams get just from trading for Matthew Stafford? They're coming in at number four for you here. I think it's massive and not as much as it's a knock on Goff, but just Stafford is clearly a tier, if not two ahead of him to me, especially as a downfield passer. I thought their offense and I bet McVay was losing his mind over this became not vertically inclined enough. Then the running back, the running game will feast off of that. You know, you go pick up Deshaun Jackson, which maybe only plays two games, but just shows you what they're thinking, that they're going to throw the ball down the field more, give that play action and middle of the field work that McVay orchestrates so well, you know, more space to do what they do. The defensive coordinator loss is big for me, but they got Ramsey, they got Donald, you know, they'll figure it out. I Potentially, the loss of Staley and I don't say this lightly, could be worse for them overall than the gain of Stafford, to be honest. like It could be. I'm not saying could it, it is 100%, but Staley's a really good, bright, young coach, and there's a reason he was on the fast track and got a head coaching job so quickly. I don't know how good of a head coach he's going to be, but he was a darn good defensive coordinator. And to, to see a defense play better under Staley than a guy like Wade Phillips before him was pretty eye-opening there. But, I mean, just it's all losses. They, you mentioned Deshaun Jackson, which is the signing I actually like for them on a one-year, four-and-a-half million-dollar contract. It's the only player they signed. They lost John Johnson. <laughs> they yeah. lost Samson Abucom. They lost Troy Hill, Morgan Fox, Gerald Everett, Derek Rivers, Malcolm Brown, uh, Jake McQuaid, Josh Reynolds going to Tennessee. So they, they pretty much lost everybody and signed one player after that big trade. And, and that's it. They're done. They're going to go into the draft and... Draft a whole bunch of uh, bodies in the later rounds. Right. No first round pick as usual. And they'll, you know, again, they'll make a lot of picks, but not premium ones. It's a lot of faith in Stafford and your coaching staff. And it's a stars and scrubs roster. But I thought they were really good last year. <laughs> and I think they'll be pretty darn good this year. Buffalo Bills coming in at number three. Matt, what do you see from the Bills? What do you see from a team that is on the cusp trying to get over the top? They have added Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, they have added Mitch Trubisky as their backup quarterback. Um, and they lost, let's see, they lost Andre Roberts. I think that's a net win for them to go from yeah. Roberts to John Brown. Sanders. Just get a solid veteran a receiver there for um, for Josh Allen. Yeah, they lost John Brown. That was another one. But, you know, pretty, mostly the same team coming back. Most of the same team coming back. And they're building this thing properly. They're building it, you know, from the ground up slowly. Um, I think that they're an, another team that's in a really good position to not reach on draft day. I am a Josh Allen believer. I am a McDermott believer. I'm an offensive coordinator believer. I mean, so I think this is a really good team that's absolutely a contender. They don't have a lot of weaknesses. So it comes down to scoreboard, right? The two Super Bowl teams are your last two left, and you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at one and the Kansas City Chiefs at two. My big question for the Chiefs is the same question that uh, that I saw in the Super Bowl is, who are your offensive tackles? But then they went out and spent a bunch of money on a guard, Joe Tooney, unless are they going to play Joe Tooney at left tackle? Uh, Tooney's five years, $80 million. Uh, and let's see, that's about it as far as you know, big moves they made. Obviously, Eric Fisher and... 
um, Mitchell Schwartz on the way out there with their injuries. So um, without knowing what their tackle situation is, we saw how important it was in the Super Bowl, and they still haven't fixed it yet. Not entirely, and you're right, maybe Tooney could, but I would imagine they're just going to plug him in at guard and expect high, high-level play. Maybe Kyle Long could play tackle. He did at the he did in the at the college level. I do know they're high on Lucas Nang, Nang, uh, uh, who's a third round pick that opted out, and we haven't seen him yet. I would imagine the thirty first pick in the draft is Cosme or Mayfield, or I mean, there'll be a tackle there. And Schwartz and Fisher, they don't have homes yet. You know, like if they get medically cleared. Maybe you can kind of wink, wink, come on back, mm, you know? Yeah, come back later in the offseason. I think Schwartz might retire, but I'm not sure about maybe, maybe. where Fisher's at. That's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, and they could move up in the draft to maybe secure one prospect that they think is a better fit on the left side because it seems like the right side would be more taken care of, whether it's Long or Nyang. Or, uh, but yeah. it's the left tackle spot that really worries me for them right now. And look, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, and they were able to bring most everybody back, so they kind of got to be one by default, right? They do, although I have a little bit of late-breaking news that happened You know, about five minutes ago. They have re-signed Leonard Fournette. So you talk about running it back, <laughs> they're just running it back exactly. You know, I mean, it's going to be the exact same team. I wouldn't be shocked if Antonio Brown returns there. Or another team, at, th- at 32, they could go any direction. Oh, yeah, here it is. One year, $3.25 million. So it's not a lot of money. I, I You know, no. he was the... Obviously, he was at the end of their list of things they really needed to do. Shaq Parrott gets a four-year, $68 million contract. They had the franchise tag placed on um, Chris Godwin. Dominican Sue, one-year, $9 million deal. Rob Gronkowski coming back, one-year, $8 million. I don't know where they're able to find all this one-year cash. <laughs> right, right. But, yeah, they, they, they were able to do a really great job bringing most everybody back so far. In Tampa, of course, Tom Brady sticking around, playing till he's 50 probably. So who knows how long this can go, but a great job by Jason Light and the crew there to build that team and then keep everybody for another run. Don't, you know what? Actually, the best, maybe underrated that they signed Leonard Fournette so they don't screw up and do what the Kansas City Chiefs did last year and go draft a first-round running back. I was thinking that too. Like, boy, you could see them not wanting to pass on Najee Harris or ATN in particular. And now they might take Barmore or trade up for Mac Jones. I mean, if Mac Jones falls, I would consider it if I were them and just say, you learn from Tom and we're going to play exactly the way Tom did. But I don't think it'll be in the equation for them. They'll go too early. I have no clue where Mac Jones is going to go. No. Uh, I, I, I bet uh, earlier than I would take him. I, I think the same. I, I yeah. keep hearing number eight there with the Panthers. I, we don't have time Ooh, to get into this discussion. We have, we have plenty of time to talk draft, and we will be talking so much draft. Matt Williamson's draft rankings by position is the next thing up for us to do, and we've already done a couple position groups. Might have to do a little reminder, or maybe if some of these, I don't know, maybe some of these pro day workouts have affected your rankings, Matt. So we'll go I through. Say, they may need revised a little bit, too. <laughs> yeah, we'll go through all of your position groups. NFL draft rankings. It is draft season on Peacock and Williamson. 